The gospel this morning is taken from the God, uh, book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. The passage for today will become a little bit more clear if we go back a day or two and see where Jesus has come from and the disciples and where they are now so we understand the setting of today's passage. You remember that just before this, we'd gone through the experience of Jesus, who has uh, called by the sisters of Lazarus to come because Lazarus was sick. And Jesus delayed his return. And he delayed his return because he knew that Lazarus was going to die. And that Lazarus would have to be resurrected to glorify God and to put the stamp of God's approval on the ministry of Jesus. Just days before the Passover where Jesus was going to be killed. What has happened now? Lazarus has been in the grave a few days. Jesus has raised him. And two days have gone. Now there is a great celebration in the homes of one of the local leaders. This passage, this story, is one of the few stories, few accounts, that is mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospels have the account of a woman anointing Jesus with precious oil. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the woman happens to be named Mary in all four accounts. But when you study the four accounts in depth, you realize that they're not all the same story. They're not the same account. 
Matthew, Mark, and John refer to the sisters of Lazarus, that Mary. Luke is a different story about a different woman named Mary, which we presume to be the woman who was found in sin when Jesus knelt down and wrote, He who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. So that account in Luke is different about a different woman and a different time that the same scenario or similar scenario takes place. This here is a big celebration. After the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus has been threatened by the leaders of the Jews. Why? Because many people are now converting and following Jesus. They saw him raise Lazarus. This was big news all over Jerusalem. We know that. The priests, the leaders saw Lazarus and then knew that he was dead. He'd been dead for a few days before he was resurrected. So people had come from Jerusalem to see this man who was the family of, uh, of Lazarus. When he was resurrected, you remember, we told the story, when Jesus got there, there were people from Jerusalem doing what? Crying. When he was resurrected, they were celebrating. And they all went back and told the good news. The Pharisees were angry because people were rejecting their leadership and following Jesus. And part of the celebration of the resurrection of Lazarus was this meal. And it is for that reason that the Bible specifically mentioned that Lazarus was always, was also at this meal. Now, this was not the home of Lazarus, or Mary and Martha, but Martha had a reputation of being very helpful to all the friends and neighbors. And so in this case, she was in charge of the serving, possibly even catering. So here we have Lazarus, Jesus, Martha, and people are curious to find out possibly, we don't have the account here, but I'm going to guess, now, people are asking Lazarus, hey, what did you notice when you were dead? What happened? I know that if I was there, I'd be tagging along with Lazarus for the, for the full two days, day and night. Hey, dude, what did you see? Did you see my uncle? Did you see my dad? Did you, you know what I mean? People want to know. So there are great crowds. There are people following. And not only the dinner guests, but there are others there. And in this place, they're reclining for dinner. Now, we know, many of us have that painting that we have over there on the wall. Many of us have that in our homes of the Last Supper table. But now, the artist at the time was really not aware as to how the dinner was really served. It wasn't served like that at all. That painting is incorrect. The way it was served, more than likely, would be on the floor, and a table, not even a table, maybe a raised area, but more than likely not. And the guests used to recline on their left arm, because they had to eat with their right hand. They didn't have knives and forks. 
they would touch, eat with their hand. And they would not use their left hand for eating because they used to wash themselves with their left hand. So they wouldn't use it for eating. So as they were reclining and eating, their feet would be pointed away from the table, not toward the table. There is also a reason that they used to recline, the Jews. And the reason was this. In Egypt, where there were slaves, they didn't have the luxury of big meals. There they could not recline. It was against the Egyptian law for slaves to be able to recline. Only those that were freemen could eat in a position of reclining. Jews, every meal that they ate, they reclined to thank God for their freedom from slavery. Because there, even in the position in which they ate, would represent their gratefulness to God for their freedom. So here they are reclining. And Mary, she brings, we're told, a pint of pure nard. A pint is approximately, I think, 12 ounces. Some of you may know better than I. Eight? I think it's 12. A pint? 16? Okay. Well, I know that people often, uh, what did you say? Ah, okay. I believe it's 12, but I could be wrong. And I want to clarify that. I'm going to have to start drinking and order by the pint. And that way I'll know what a pint is. But she brings a pint. But the value is more important than the amount. First of all, what was this pure nard? This came, this was oil that came out of a plant and came all the way from India. And now today, you can put something on a plane in India and have it, you know, in uh, Jerusalem in no time at all. But back then, it was a long and dangerous trip. But to make it even more valuable, the only place they could get this nard was up on the mountains of the Himalayas. And if you know anything about the Himalayas, you know, it's not a very comfortable place to be traversing and going to get any fruit that would make the oil. The value of that amount, that pint, was equivalent to one year's wage for a soldier or a laborer. So if we were to take today's average laborer, we're not talking about minimum wage now. Minimum wage is like $14. But the average labor is what? $20, $25? So if you multiply that times a year, that's what the value of this was. And this was by far the most valuable asset that this woman had. Nothing more precious. That's what she had. This brings us to a very important point point. When we give to God, 
the work of God. What do we give? I don't know how many of you donate to Goodwill or Salvation Army or other things. I'm not organized enough to organize my old clothes and take them. I should, but I haven't. But I know that if I had to make an effort and say, I'm going to take and give my clothes to somebody else, I know without a doubt that I would take my newest suits and my best shirts and my best of everything and take it and give it to Salvation Army or Good. Am I right? Is that what I would do? Maybe I won't, but I think you might. Oh, I heard somebody say no. You know, our hearts and stories like this are given so that we can measure ourselves, not others, so I can measure myself. What am I all about? I'm having a discussion with a friend of mine who mistakenly believes that we can keep all of God's commandments and God expects us to be righteous in order to give us eternal life in heaven. And in our discussion on the question of whether or not we can keep the commandments, I have reviewed with him and with others what is it that constitutes the keeping of the commandments? Is the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments, the Apostle Paul tells us, are a reflection, are a mirror of us, and they show us what God is all about. So the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Go and keep the laws. He says, I keep the laws already. And then Jesus makes it a little clearer as to what it means to keep the law. And what does he say to him? Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Give it to the poor. That is the measure. That is the measure. James, he says, what good is your faith if there are no works? But he doesn't talk about works like uh, uh, that you don't lie, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't covet. That's not what he's talking about. Do you know what example James gives? What good is it if you're neighbor or if a poor man is naked and you don't clothe them if somebody is hungry and you don't feed them that's the law jesus himself says that when his kingdom comes the righteous will come and say we have kept the law we have done everything you told us to do and jesus will say when i was poor you didn't feed me when i was uh, uh, when i was uh, naked you didn't clothe me when i was in prison you didn't come see me God expects us to do those things that are hard to do. He wants the best. When God wanted Abraham to sacrifice, what did God say? Give me all of your wealth, give me all your camels, give me all your goats, give me all your cows. Is that what God said? No. Did he say, give me Ishmael? No. What did he say? He says, give me your son, your only son, Genesis 22, the one that you love. 
the most precious. That's why, that's why God wants to test me and to test my love for him. In this case, we find that Mary takes what is the most important, the most valuable asset that she has, and she brings that to Jesus. And immediately, what does Judas say? Judas was there. When Jesus told the rich young ruler, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. Now Judas is trying to trap Jesus in his own words. Clever guy. He said, Isn't it important for us to look after the poor? Why don't we keep that? Why didn't we keep that and sell it and take the money and give it to the poor? Jesus knew. What the intent of Judas was, the Bible tells us that he was accustomed to taking money from the disciples, from the pouch, yeah. That's the same as stealing money from the church. Jesus knew it. And he did not embarrass Judas by saying, dude, I know what you're doing. So years worth of money is going to come into your hand. You're going to keep six months worth. And the other six months you might go and give to somebody. Jesus didn't do that. He let him continue looking after the money. But he did say this. The poor will be with you always. But I will only be here for a little while. I will not be here forever. Two things to point out. One, when somebody gives, donates, gives an offering, we don't have a right to judge that offering. Why? If a pastor, church leader, anybody manipulates a person and makes them feel guilty to give more money, what is the value of that offering? Not much. It is only acceptable and valuable to God when it comes from the heart. That is when it becomes an offering. That. So we don't have, if somebody wants to give a lot, give a lot. If somebody wants to give a little, Give a little. That is indicative of their decision and their decision alone, not ours to say. There are churches who make giving a condition of membership or leadership. Rather than doing that, we ought to work with our people that each one of our hearts gets closer to God that we want to give so we can spread the gospel and so we can help those that are in need. The Bible is very clear on the work of the church. The work of the church is to do two things, to preach the gospel and to help those that are in need. That's the two things. And we find the example of the early church. What did they start to do immediately after Pentecost? They began to preach, and within that same chapter, we find people brought what they had so they could give it to the 
poor. They're following the commands of Jesus. A converted church, a converted heart. Here, Jesus says, point number two, that I will not be with you always like the poor will be. Jesus knows that this perfume and this anointing is a foreshadowing, is a symbol of the anointing of his body after his death. It's the preparation for his death. Because normally, when a person died, they would anoint them before the burial. But Jesus didn't get that anointing. You remember, they took him from the cross and he was put in the grave. And on the Sunday morning, the women said what? We must go and anoint him. This was in place of that anointing that didn't take place. There's those, there are not some, many theologians who believe that although the Bible mentions the feet, a pint of oil is enough to anoint the feet of everybody in that room. There are those that believe that the anointing may have started from the head of Jesus and maybe down to his feet. Started with the head and then anointed the feet to do to the crown of his head and the soles of his feet and represent the anointing of the body. We don't have the clear message on that. But this is the preparation. Preparation for the sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb. The day following this is when Jesus called for the donkey and begins his trip down that road to Jerusalem. Next week, we will study the examination of this lamb and what that triumphal entry means. Today, we need to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, that we too may have the heart of Mary and by the Spirit of God, that we may be transformed to love Jesus, that we would give him our best. And our best is not money, it's not clothes. Our best is our heart. That's what he wants. Once God has your heart, he has everything. The giving of Isaac by Abraham was only an outside indication of Abraham having given his heart to the Lord. As we pray for one another, let us pray that daily we may die like the Apostle Paul says, I die daily. Daily we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, that through him we may come to the Father. Amen.